This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today... Maybe you've guessed already we're talking about olives. Yes, we're talking about olives. Once again, we are coming to you from, uh, well, here we are in my closet and Matthew's dining room. Yeah, I can't wait till we can get back to uh, recording together so that we can both just uh, like cram into your closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's how how we used to do it. Your your dining room table was in my closet. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So today I didn't have the the small little comforter that I hung from the wall before. So okay. I just hung a coat on part of the wall. <laughs> well, and, it sounds great uh, to me. Anyway, and um, I've surrounded my Myself with quilts, which are are good padding, you know, like yeah. No, know. I've always said quilts are good padding. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> I think even if you hadn't showed me, I, I could have heard. I can hear the contours of the coat. Oh, good, good, great. That's what I'm always going for when I when I buy clothing, whether or not you can hear the contours of it. If I look at the waveform as it's recording, it it look just looks like top coat shaped. Oh, top coat. Do you, oh top coat? Are we talking about I, as that word came out? I'm like, I don't know what that is. I know Uh, it's something you would see on like a British costume drama, but I don't know what it looks like. Matthew, I think I might have told you this, that I decided to join this like online informal book club thing that's that's reading Tolstoy's War and Peace for the next three months. I think I I think you did mention that. And I was like, really? (laughs) I'm eight days into it. Uh-huh. And so far, I'm I'm wondering why why I'm gonna like this book, or like sure. why I'm gonna care about these characters. But there was a passage uh, in the part I read last night where they were talking about um, great coats. Oh, like like a great coat, all one word. I feel um, like you're gonna think that is, is an, a garment, and then like. 27 pages later, you're going to realize actually it's a kind of bird. I think you're right. Uh, soldiers were wearing it. So definitely <laughs> okay. birds. Oh, yeah. No, no. Birds, birds are love landing on birds. statues and soldiers. Yes. I know that. Okay. Well, that is what I've learned so far from War and Peace. 
Like, couldn't you, I mean, I understand the impulse to, to like read a classic, but couldn't, can you read like a modern classic, like, uh, like little fires everywhere or the Pelican brief or something. Uh, those, those are literally are those the, the modern classics those you are came the two, up with? The only two books. I'm like, quick, quick, think of books. Think of titles of books. Those were the only two. I mean, like, I, okay. I think that there are probably some people who would agree with you about the Celeste Ng book, uh, Little uh-huh. Fires Everywhere, but the Pelican brief, isn't that like, my like John Grisham or something? <laughs> is it who wrote the Pelican? Uh, what is the oh Pelican? Oh yes, it's, it's absolutely John Grisham, and the movie was oh. Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington. I think you know what's another. I've seen modern, the movie. I haven't read the book. You know what's another classic in modern literature? The Firm. Have you heard of it? It's by John Grisham. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, that I have read. <laughs> Uh, me, too. And, me too. And saw the movie. Yeah, okay. Back in the day. So we're, we're cultured. We, we read literature. We are so cultured. We are up to date on our uh, our John Grisham. Yeah. What more does a person need to read, really? Today, we are talking about olives. Uh, yeah, and I think I think we've got like a special month going here. I don't know if all these episodes are going to air in the same month, but like, I, I feel like we're really digging in on things that host Matthew is not a big fan of. <laughs> Wait, what else did we, we do? Oh, we did avocados. We did avocados. And I think yes. I feel like for me avocados and olives kind of go in, fall into the same category. Huh. It's like 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 you're very conditional about them, like they're only specific places you want them. Yes, that's part of it. And also, I mean, like they're both I, I think I think I'm skeptical of them for the same reasons. Like they're ah. they're rich, they're generally eaten at room temperature. They're, they each uh, have a single pit in the middle. They each have a single pit. I didn't That's even think very of that. Suspect. Wow. That Maybe. is so suspect. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I I think I think by the end of this episode I'm going to make you hate olives. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay, wait. Speaking speaking of um uh, of well, were we speaking of memory lane? No, uh, but we can we can begin now- <laughs> speaking of memory lane now. Okay, I'll lead it off. So I think that my earliest memory of olives is of, of being at some place where somebody had ordered a bunch of pizzas, like for like delivery pizzas, right? Like you're at a slumber party sure. or you're at camp and it's like pizza day or whatever. Inevitably, there would be a supreme pizza. That was what we called it back then. Do you remember? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. And that would That's have what, I still call it supreme. It. So that that I think is where I first encountered olives and was like, and of course those were the sliced like canned olives, uh, the black ones. Yes. And then then I remember when my dad started going to Mediterranean Imports. Oh yeah, which I've, you've been, been I've been. To. I can't believe it's so exciting now when you mention Mediterranean Imports. I'm like, I've been to Mediterranean Imports. Like, who hasn't been to Mediterranean Imports? Right. So anyway, Mediterranean Imports in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, was, as I recall, one of the first places where you could buy olives, like you know, out of like bins or you know, uh, like an olive bar type situation. I'm in so Oklahoma glad you City. mentioned that. Because and so like, I remember, hold on, Matthew. Yeah, sorry. I remember my dad going there and coming home with olives and being so excited about these really good olives that he could get there that we couldn't get anywhere else. I imagine, imagine him coming back dressed like Santa with a big sack full of assorted olives. Exactly. Exactly. And filling everyone's stockings. I mean, you didn't have stockings hung up because it wasn't Christmas time. So you just like put a bunch of olives in your sock. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. It was a special tradition in our house. You would leave a sock hanging from your doorknob overnight. Uh, and the next morning and, it would be filled with olives. That's what I would do in college when I was having a hookup. 
<laughs> so wait, you would leave a sock on the doorknob. I would leave a sock what, on the doorknob, and then and who then, would fill and it and with then, olives? Like, do what I need. I, I to this day, I'm not sure. I guess my roommate, like as retaliation for for like kicking him out of the room, Olive Santa. Yes, all of my roommate would turn out to be Olive Santa. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so yeah, I think of olives, like as a kid, I thought of them as being gross. This thing that showed up on pizza, it was unwanted. And then I think of my dad being super excited about them and me still being like, this is gross. Who wants to eat this? Not me. Yeah, I've always been pretty much fine with olives on pizza and other than that, I thought of them as like a gross grown-up thing as a kid. And I'm realizing now that like there are a whole bunch of things that I felt that way about as a kid and then like t- grew to love as an adult. And then other things that just like stayed in that same category and I never grew up on. Uh, give me some examples of each category. Okay, so things I hated as a kid but love now, mushrooms, sushi. Ah. Those are two that come to mind. Okay. Things that I did not like as a kid and still don't like, avocados, olives, uh, ketchup. Uh, Yeah, condiments in general, right? Okay, but wait, what about, uh, you know, I know that our dads shared a lot of similarities in terms of sort of like uh, being descendants of of Eastern European extraction people. What am I trying to say? They they were extracted from 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 an Eastern European um, person. They they went in on some sort of spy mission and had to be extracted. Yes. Anyway, did your dad like olives? Not that olives are Eastern European, but I think that my dad grew up like eating olives in like these sort of more international communities than I grew up in? That is a really good question. I do not think of my dad as either liking or disliking olives. Like, you know, I think he loves kimchi, like smoked and pickled fish, gefilte fish, but olives, I've never seen him like get excited about olives. Can I tell you something really odious about myself at a, a previous time? Oh, I would love that. You know, like in the low fat craze in the the 90s. Yeah. Okay, so my mom was a a personal fitness trainer and like, you know, super into fitness. And it was like everywhere in the headlines then, like, you know, low fat everything. This was the era of like snack well cookies and all that crap. I remember reading somewhere in like the sidebar of some magazine article that a single olive contains two grams of fat. And I remember going, I know, I remember going home and like chiding my father (gasps) for his like fattening olive habit. Can I can I cannot even believe that I I was once this person. This is a I'm embarrassed to admit it. I thought that this was an important way to take care of uh, the health of my loved one Um, was to scold him for eating olives. Yeah, you're you're bad, but, but you've bad. grown so much since since then. The That's the true. weird thing is that each <laughs> olive has two grams of fat, and uh, and that fat is Crisco. <laughs> I wondered where Crisco came yeah. from. Uh-huh. Oh, and then olive oil comes from from, uh, from... eggplants. Oh. You take an eggplant, you squeeze it really hard in like mm. a vice, and olive oil comes out. That's the Mediterranean <sighs> diet. Ah. Oh. That's what they mean by the Mediterranean diet. It's okay. a whole it's like a whole fitness and diet plan where where you like you get jacked by squeezing eggplants and then you and then you do shots of the oil that comes out of the eggplant. Yum. 
It's great for your skin, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking that's of, how my dad of, has such uh, beautiful skin. Fitness regimen, like I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, like it's I don't have like a bit, but like I've been doing I've been doing on a YouTube 30 days of yoga series. And yesterday there was a lot of ab work, and my abs have never been sorer than they are today. Really? Like I keep I keep like moving in some direction. Like what's wrong with my entire lower? Oh, it was the ab workout. So are you the kind of person who, when you're sore from a workout, does it, is it like, do you feel good? Is it like a, like a hurt so good mm. John Cougar Mellencamp feeling or well, are you just kind of cranky about it? No, it's, it's more like a sucking down chili dogs outside the tasty freeze kind of feel. <laughs> um, no, it's, yeah. it's just, I want to, I want to like complain. I want to make sure everybody knows that, that like how how much it hurts so they know that I exercised once. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, um, that's kind of where I'm at. I would like our listeners to also know that last week you admitted to me that you had done aerobics one afternoon and injured your ankle. <laughs> right, that's why I switched to yoga because like less <laughs> less like feet, feet slamming against the floor and I'm sure my downstairs neighbors appreciate it more also. What are some other John Cougar Mellencamp lyrics I could have gone to? Oh God, um, well, so I'm a big fan of the whole Scarecrow album. Uh, rain What's on the on scarecrow, that? blood on oh, the plow. Oh yeah, blood on the plow. Yeah, this land, this land makes yeah. me proud. that's that's kind of so how I feel in the something. whole core area. Like it's like a real like blood on the plow situation down is, there. Is your um, is your whole core like a like R O C K in the USA? Is it like rock like a rock? I mean, rock I, that's where I'm trying to get with it. I think like having done this one ab workout, I'm hoping that's enough to achieve like total core domination how do you feel about authority do you fight authority and authority always wins oh god yes are you kidding yeah. Yeah. i used to be on a city board that was literally our theme song <laughs> <laughs> well this has been our john cougar mellencamp episode uh-huh hey i think i've told our listeners Ain't this that before, america but yes yes did you know that i had guppies named john cougar and mellencamp as a child I remember you mentioning this. I'd forgotten it till now, though. So there were good things about me. I wasn't just that kid who went around scolding her dad for eating olives because they were, quote, unquote, fattening. Ugh, yeah. God, it I, it embarrasses me to say it. It's like so I know, gross. but I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad this show that is all you about invited therapy. the skeleton out of your closet. What other skeletons yeah. do you have in that closet that you're in? I'm going to have to rummage around in it and let you know. It's probably more yeah. dust bunnies than skeletons, to be honest. Fair. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, okay. Speaking of dust bunnies, sorry, we're going to get to all of this maybe eventually, but... <laughs> okay. um, at one point on the show, we were talking, I'm sure, about like words that, that you weren't sure if were like a special word that only your family said or if, if lots of people said it. My yeah. mom has always called dust bunnies garboons. Have you ever heard this? I've never heard this. I don't know if she made it up or like her, her, her parents made it up or if like other people say it. Judy Amster, please yeah. let us know. After you listen to this episode, maybe you can, uh, I don't know, maybe text Matthew and let him know. Maybe you can, maybe you can like start a website. Maybe you can like add Garboon to Urban Dictionary. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, okay, Matthew. So so I'm going to take the lead here in getting down to business. Please do. Yeah, I'm a business person. Mm -hmm. yep. I, when, I, when, when I would take the lead in getting down to business, I'd put that sock on my door. <laughs> 
<laughs> and catch olives. Well, all right. So uh, I just want to I want to try to um, sort of focus us, first of all, by saying that this is not going to be an episode. <laughs> that would be I the know, first time. <laughs> focusing us is something that truly cannot be done, but I keep trying. Um, this is not going to be an episode about olive oil. This is an episode about olives or like what we're going to talk about is table olives as they're called in the industry okay table olives Mm -hmm. first i'm going to throw down some pure (laughs) knowledge okay oh we by the way the reason we're not talking about olive oil today is because we did that already on episode 262 so go get it oh i'm so glad you looked that up yeah okay cool no no i just i just know all all of our episode numbers just off the top of the dome hit me give me a give me a topic grapes uh uh, 147 (laughs) This is, this, uh, this, this is absolutely this joke wrong. just expired. Okay. All right. Okay. So olives are fruits. All right. Olives are the fruits mm-hmm. of the olive tree, which is um, Olea europea is the Latin okay. name. Eu- europea. I'm not sure. I don't know where to put the em- emphasis. Like, no one knows how to pronounce Latin names, right? That's... Unless you unless you've like taken Latin, and then even if you know some Latin, like there are some weird pronunciation things in Latin, like how C's are always a hard K sound. That even when you do it, say it right, you feel like you're doing it wrong. Anyway, uh, so the olive tree is in the same plant family as lilacs, jasmine, uh-huh. forsythia, and ash trees. Okay. Okay. All right. So the olive tree is an evergreen tree or shrub, and it's native to the Mediterranean, to Asia, and to Africa. You will note that it is not native to the Americas, despite the fact that we grow a lot of them here, uh, particularly in California. Is it, uh, does that make it an invasive species? Well, I'm actually, I don't know if I wrote that on the agenda, but in some of the places that it's been introduced, like particularly in parts of Australia, it does like become invasive and take over oh. native species territory. I know. Anyway, bad, so bad olives. So you know, I think we can all probably recognize the leaves of or picture the the leaves of a, an olive tree, right? They're silvery green, kind of oblong. Yeah. And the trunk is always kind of gnarled and and twisted, and gets more gnarled. I knew the you were going to say gnarled. Yeah, and these are I trees that can get gnarled. really old, right? Really old. We're going to be talking about that. Yes. So anyway, I thought this was really interesting. So um, the word olive comes from Latin, as you might expect, especially given where olive trees first, uh, you know, came to be in the Mediterranean, the center of uh, the Latin ancient. Well, I mean, it could have been Greek also. That's true. Oh, that's true. The word oil in in English is derived from the Latin for olive oil. Oh, I didn't know that. Isn't that cool? And this is apparently true of multiple other languages, too, that the word oil derives specifically from the name of this oil. So like when like like olio de olivo, that means like oil oil. Yeah, it seems seems like it does. So this fruit is a droop. Droop. It's a droop like that. That means like cherries, peaches, apricots. That's a fruit with a single single pit or seed, right? Yeah, where the where the seed, the walls of the seed develop from the ovary walls of the flower. That's ah, a okay. Okay, cool. Apparently, in wild olive trees, the like the the skin is is uh, or the the flesh is thinner, and um, and the the olives are smaller. Whereas in like cultivated varieties, sense. I guess you know we've we've plumped them up. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like like 
you know, when when fruits are propagated by like birds or bears or whatever, like <laughs> yeah. they're always like smaller and less fleshy, and because because apparently like birds and and bears, which are the two main uh, like. Uh, what do you call propagators of, of seeds in the wild? They're just like, eh, this seems good enough. I love it when I come upon a bear in the wild, like, you know, planting his his crop for <laughs> for the season. It's so cute to watch a bear use tools. I love it when, when you come across the, a bear in the wild because there's nothing I love more than watching you fight a bear and win every time. I remember don't know how we you went, do it. Remember when we went, camp- went camping? I was so disappointed that there were no bears. Me then you too. would have gotten to watch me fight a bear. Yep. But at the same time, we could have seen a bear planting his, uh, you know, his vegetable garden. Yeah. So that would You're have been You're a real cool grizzly too. woman. I am. Here's what I think is kind of interesting. Like, so obviously, I think we can all imagine olives are a pretty like old crop, right? Yes. Um, so apparently fossil evidence tells us that the, the olive tree is somewhere between 20 and 40 million years old. Isn't it like really like... I love how the older we get, the further we get back into history, the more we're okay with time spans of like 20 million yes, years. Yes, yeah, fair. Like, right? Like, you know, where it, it, it wouldn't hold up in court is where I'm no. going with this. Like, no. if you're asked, like, you know, when, when, did, when did the murder take place? Well, you know, we think sometime between 1963 and next week. Yes. Exactly. That is what it's like. And the the first olive trees probably grew in in an area that now corresponds to Italy and sort of the eastern Mediterranean basin. Um, That seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems logical, given that that is also where most olives are grown now. Um, yeah. The first the first cultivated uh, the first olives were like, you know, cultivated uh, for domestic use. What am I trying yeah, to say? Sure. Yeah, Domest- they, um, they were domesticated. They were domesticated about seven thousand years ago in, in that right. same part of the world. So apparently, as far back as three thousand BC, olives were being grown commercially on the island of Crete in Greece, and olives or olive oil may have been the source of the tremendous wealth of the Minoan civilization on Crete. Pretty cool, huh? Um, that is pretty cool. On the one hand, on the other hand. That means like there were like asshole olive billionaires. Yes, back then probably because like you know five thousand you know yeah five thousand years from now people are going to say like you know back back in uh, in in whatever they're going to call this dumb era like you know people people uh, were wealthy because they had warehouses full of like. (laughs) you know, shirts and and, uh, and audio equipment and toilet paper. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. But people used to be olive barons. Right. Now there used to be olive barons. Yes. Yes. Before the old railroad barons and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, Amazon barons. Yeah. Anyway, so Spanish colonists brought olives to uh, to the Americas in the mid 1500s, and initially the trees like first caught on in what is now Peru, Chile, and Argentina. Okay. Um, and then it it actually wasn't for like 200 years until the mid to late 1700s that Spanish missionaries planted the first olive trees in California. So then in, in California, you know, it took a while for olive trees to really get going. But olive oil production started in California in the 1860s. But once again, we are not okay. talking about olive oil, Matthew. So anyway. Um, so were people okay, eating but, table olives at the time? Do we know? Well. 
so it from everything that I was learning, certainly there is some crossover between olive varieties that are used for eating and olive varieties that are used for oil. But yeah. I, I think that like most of the time, if you are an olive grower, you are either growing table olives or you're growing olives for oil. Like okay. I think, I think you're I'm usually gonna, doing I'm one gonna or the other. I'm going to go for the oil kind. Oh, okay. I think that's, you're going to be an oil baron. I'm going to be an oil baron. I think that is a that is a, a road to wealth that is well paved, my friend. Yeah, I want to have um, the best thing about being an oil baron is like um, that probably you know we saw one like on the on the on the lawn of the of city hall in in Oklahoma City right or the the state capitol that uh, that have one of those oil oil well things that goes up and down and like yeah. no 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 person of any you know mature age has ever looked at it without thinking about sex right i forgot that you look at that and think about sex i grew oh, up but, looking oh, you're at saying it as so if was, i'm the only one you're the only one i okay. you know i grew up looking at those and i think i probably looked at those before i knew about sex so i never okay. never looked at them and thought about sex no, of but course, then, now, then your parents gave you the talk and you're like oh like the oil thing what <laughs> yeah. is that thing even called i think it's called an oil derrick oh Although, that sounds right is that i or an oil i think you're right maybe Okay. If that's Hold not on. the thing that's called an oil derrick, it should be because it, that seems like it should be called a derrick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that so, was the most tautological thing I've ever said. <laughs> so, um, I I want to get into talking about like how olives are. I want to get into talking about how olives are harvested and like how they're brined and fermented and stuff because I I didn't know and I think that's pretty cool. But first. First, Matthew, yeah. I want to talk about just uh, I, I'm going to turn here to the literary side of our our podcast. Oh, you, know, you learned is, something this, about olives from War and Peace. This is here we go. This is, this is our uh, what should this segment be called? We have a memory lane segment. We have a what have we learned segment sometimes. This um, is our um, story hour. Story hour. All right. So this segment will be one hour long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, as you may have noticed uh, from history classes and reading many different types <laughs> of books uh, and looking at art, olive trees and olive branches have been used to symbolize things in many cultures and religions. Mm -hmm. So okay? just like how oil derricks have been used to symbolize things. <laughs> Yeah, actually, do we use things to symbolize things? I think we're not really I speaking do. English. Anyway, but so olive branches, the olive branches are a symbol for peace, for glory um, in like early like... Uh, Early in the morning, I'm losing it, Matthew. You know how, no. like, I don't know if it's on the on, on the dollar or what, because because like, who has a dollar anymore? But like, you know how a dove goes flying by with an olive branch yes. in its mouth. Is yes. that something that's ever really happened? Because I know we've talked about this on the show. I've mentioned this many times that like when I see a bird with a, a worm hanging out of its mouth, like, like this that. is like a thing I can see that makes me feel like, oh, my God, everything in the world is going to be OK because like a bird is actually carrying a worm around like that's in a how, kid's book. That's how I feel when I see bears planting their vegetable gardens. Exactly. Yes. So, I'm like, I feel safe. Yeah, so so yeah. like a dove, if a dove ever flies by carrying an olive branch for real, I want to hear about it. Okay, 
Anyway, so um, in ancient Greece, as well as other times and places, branches were frequently given as offerings to gods, and okay. they were made into crowns for the victors of various games and races and things. I wonder if, you know, I haven't watched Ben-Hur any time recently, but I wonder if uh, at the end of that, that chariot race, if there was a, an olive branch crown. What do you think? Uh, that would make sense. I mean, whenever I whenever I win a game of sorry, I demand that my family make me an <laughs> olive branch crown. Great. All right. So uh, there ends a story hour. That wasn't really story hour. It was more like literary symbols hour or um, okay, yeah, or, or I, culture, I cultural with, symbols. I think we should stick with story hour. I don't think anyone's going <laughs> to tune in for cultural symbols iconography hour. <laughs> okay. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's talk about eating olives, okay? Okay. Well, here's one thing that's really cool before we get into eating olives. <laughs> this episode is all over the place. It's a disaster. I just wanted to say that I think it's really amazing that um, some of the oldest olive trees in the world are still bearing fruit. Like, that just okay, seems yeah, that is amazing to me. So there are... How old um, are we talking? There are many different parts of the world that claim to have the world's oldest olive trees. And, oh, of course. And a lot of these are not verified, okay? So I'm just going to list off some places that are, like, purported to have olive trees that are at least 1,500 to 2,000 years old. All right? All right, that's impressive. So, um, so Croatia, Israel, and Palestine, both territories claim to have extremely old olive trees like as old as time itself time itself um of course crete malta apparently has a really old olive tree oh, anyway they also have a, an old falcon that sometimes carries an olive tree in its mouth no ah, an olive branch <laughs> an olive tree in its mouth if you, oh, oh there goes the maltese dove. falcon god it has a strong beak <laughs> Well, it's been it's been doing uh, it's it's been trapped inside doing uh, YouTube yoga. The the Maltese Falcon's been doing yoga and, and like blasting its core. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. All right. So um, let's let's talk about table olives. Let's talk about eating olives. All right. So table- I don't believe you. You've you've told me like four times already that we're going to talk about that and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. So All I'm right. not going to be fooled again. So table olives are classified into three groups according to how ripe they are when they're harvested. All right. And I think you can imagine this. Have you ever in in your years of um, being a snooty food person? Oh, okay. 
Did you ever do like olive oil tastings in which you would try like a young olive oil that would be more green and kind of peppery, slightly bitter? And then you might try an olive oil made from older, more mature, like darker kind of black or purple olives. And that would be like a rounder, more buttery flavored olive oil. Did you ever I don't do this think kind I, of thing? I mean, I think we probably did this on our very own olive oil episode. Oh, I that don't was so know long if ago. I knew. I mean, probably you told me at the time, but I don't think I knew what types of olives produce different boldnesses of olive oil. You can you can imagine this in terms of flavor without even having to taste them. So, olives that are picked when they are green. Okay, these are full size olives, but they're still unripe. So they're usually okay. green to yellow, and they still have in them, um, in pretty high concentrations, this bitter chemical, phytochemical, called oleuropane. Oleuropin. Oh, how do you I'm think, impressed. How do you think you'd pronounce this word? You I'm not going to do it any better than you did. Really? I yeah. think you could do better. Oleuropine. No, no that's, I that's, don't like that. I think that's pretty good. Anyway, so that that's um, so those are green olives. Then we have uh, the next category is semi-ripe olives. Those are picked at the beginning of the ripening cycle. So the color has begun to change from green to like some shades of red or brown. Yeah, and I feel like have... I'm a semi-ripe olive at this point in life. Yeah, me too. Is that what mm-hmm. we call middle age? Yeah. Being a semi-ripe olive. Mm-hmm. Uh, black or ripe olives are, of course, the third category. Those are picked when they're fully ripe, and they're usually purple, brown, or or black. Although, I think there are, I think most of the olives that we encounter that are black are artificially blackened. Yes, and this we're I about do to know get about. There. Okay. So, oh wait, I added something to the agenda here because... I, I remember when olive bars started showing up in supermarkets. And even though I wasn't interested in like shopping at the olive bar, like once the olive bar came to my local supermarket, I knew things had gotten fancy around here. Like that was like a, a consistent marker of fanciness. Yes, I agree. Okay, so so let's talk about um, about what olives are like when they first come off the tree, especially if they're green olives. Yeah, I'm like so curious olives. about this because this is, it's like one of these things where you have to do a bunch of stuff to it before you can eat it, right? Yes. This is not like, uh, you know, picking an apple off a tree or a peach off a tree. This is like a, a fruit that needs to be dealt with before uh-huh. you can eat it. So um, raw olives or, or fresh olives are very bitter. And that's because they have high amounts of that oleuropine. Let's, let's call it OPP. Oh, P. Oh, but it only has one P. Doesn't matter. I saw, I don't remember what show this was. It was probably on Food Network where someone was taking a tour, like the host of the show was taking a tour of an olive orchard. And the and the grower was like, I mean, obviously this, this was like a total setup, like, like uh, you know, he wasn't really surprised, but had to act surprised. But the grower was like, hey, host of the show, why don't you try one of these fresh olives right off my tree? And the host bit into it. It was like, Ugh! yeah, yeah. So um, so here's the thing. In order to be palatable, olives need to either be cured or they need to be cured and fermented. Usually most olives are fermented um, in order to remove or convert the um, oleuropene 
um, and other compounds, too, that make olives kind of yucky tasting. So um, generally speaking, these compounds are at really high concentrations in young olives, right? And um, in some cultivars of olives, as they mature on the tree, the oleuropane is converted to other, like, more palatable compounds. And those particular cultivars are sometimes edible when they're fully ripe without curing or fermenting. But I think that is not the case for most olives that we encounter. Okay, so I'm kind of used to the idea from like, you know, research that we've done from this show that like humans will like fuck around with any food until they find some find a way to eat it. Mm-hmm. What are the, how do the bears do this? Well, I think that animals eat a lot of stuff that is not palatable to us, dude. I mean, like my dog was eating a, a the leg of a dead crab on the beach today. Ew. Yeah, I had to stop her. She's gotten food poisoning from that before. Yeah. But so I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder, you know, animals that live in places where olive trees grow, I imagine they're eating the olives off the trees, yeah. right? Well, and I think like I this that was the thing about the bears was supposed to be a joke. But now things things have just gotten very serious because um, we talked about this. I, I think we've talked about this on on like a chili episode or something that like um, lots of lots of like hot peppers are propagated by birds who seem to uh, do not respond to capsaicin and just like don't notice that they're spicy. That is so interesting to me. And the capsaicin is there to ward off like mammals that will that will digest the seeds. Mm. Okay. So the animals that would pass the seeds in their poop or whatever are yeah. the ones who would be able to eat it without experiencing the capsaicin. Yeah. So oh, maybe maybe cool. like there's a similar thing going on with olives, but we can always we can always outsmart some stupid plant. That's true. We humans That's true. that is. Well, so uh, here is how we outsmart that plant. All yes, right. Good so segue. um so the curing process uh, takes if you're using lye to cure your olives. It takes only a few days, and some olives are cured with lye. Um, If you're curing them in a salt brine or by salt packing them, uh, it can take a few months. So um, I didn't list it here because it was way too much detail, but there are like different, um, different regions Uh, Like Spanish olives, at least according to Wikipedia, entire regions might tend to cure their olives in the same way, using the same like steps or whatever. Where do you get lye? I don't know. There there are all these like traditional like like food processing. Yeah. Like, you know, people have like lime and and uh, like consuay water and and lye. Like, where did people get this stuff? I have no idea. Like, I would get it from, like, a hardware store, probably. Did they get it but by, I, like, grinding rocks or, like, the right different concentrations of did minerals ancient, from different rocks? Or I have yeah, no I idea. Think, I, think, <laughs> I think grinding rocks is the answer. Grinding rocks. Okay. Anyway, so um, so here's the deal. This, this curing, this curing does two things. What it does is... While the and maybe you can help me understand here. So um, I let's don't say think you've so, got, but I'll try. Let's say you've got some olives that are soaking in a in a salt brine. Okay, well, so there's also like natural microflora, like yeasts and things, mm-hmm. on the skin of the olive. Okay, and as the olive is curing, those natural microflora on the skin of the olives also induce fermentation. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So, so this process, this curing and fermentation, it does two things: it leaches out and breaks down those phytochemicals that make olives taste bitter. 
And it also generates other metabolites um, that give table olives, like uh, it helps preserve them. So it yeah. makes some of them, sometimes it makes them shelf stable. Um, and it also gives them like the texture and the, the flavor that we're used to. So um, that makes sense. What was I supposed to help explain? Oh, well, how it is that like this curing process also induces fermentation the microflora are present. And so is it just that while the curing is happening, the microflora are also like waking up and starting to do stuff? Oh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay, cool. Anyway, so, you know, I was remembering as I was reading up on this that the first olives I liked, and this seems really weird to me, but the first olives I ever liked were were, um, oil-cured olives. What does that mean? Well, so have you ever noticed in the olive bar that there's usually one particular tray of olives that is not in a brine. Oh. It's usually uh, dry and they kind of look like raisins. They look like, I, like uh, okay, really Okay, so now that you raisins. mentioned that, yes, I don't usually spend a lot of time near the olive bar because it's full of olives. But <laughs> yeah. but when I, when I happen to pass by, I have noticed that. Okay. Well, so what those are, um, those are olives that are initially salt cured. They're packed in layers of salts. And so they, they don't actually ferment a lot. They, um, they mostly just cure. And then, um, so those are salt packed olives, but then to make, uh, oil cured olives, they're cured in salt and then they're, they're washed and soaked in oil. And, oh, I bet those have like four grams of fat per olive. <laughs> and anyway, so they, they almost wind up looking like a, like a, a raisin, like kind of a big uh-huh. black raisin. Like anyway, a, like a date sort of. But they, um, they, they're, you know, they're obviously much smaller than that. They're like okay. olive size. Anyway, those were Fine. the first olives I ever liked, which seems very strange to me now because compared to olives that are packed in brine, they are really strong and really salty. Anyway, so yeah, so that that is a different way of, of curing olives is curing them uh, by layering them in, in dry salt, not a brine. I mean, but to be fair, as a kid, your nickname was Little Strong and Salty. Anyway, so um, let's talk about um, about the uh, the way that that some olives are artificially blackened or like yes, artificially okay. ripened because this is super cool. So this was this process was invented in California in like the mid 1890s, actually in Oakland by this German woman who I guess was trying to figure out what to do with some olives she had growing on a tree that she wanted to make palatable. Okay. Okay. Got to so, hope MC Hammer appears in this story. So this is how all the olives that you, um, like black olives that you buy in a can, any olives that you buy that say like California ripe yeah. olives is, is what they're generally referred to. Anyway, they're not fermented. What you do is you start with green or semi-ripe olives, which are then soaked in lye. Here we get the lye again. Yeah. Then you wash them in water that is injected with compressed air. So it's like you're washing them in like fizzy water. Oh, but like, but it, it, like air it doesn't be, make water fizzy. But compressed air. Okay. Well, so this washing like, of they're these, like getting like power washed. I I I don't know. I bet there's a like a like a video like a you know how stuff works video. Okay. Well, anyway, so, you know, you've got these green or semi-ripe, olive, semi-ripe olives. They're soaked in lye. Then they're washed in water that's injected with compressed air. And this is done 
several times until both oxygen and lye have soaked through the olive's flesh all the way to the pit. And in the process, this oxidizes the skin and the flesh, turning it black. So this kind of mimics natural ripening. And then they're brined and sort of corrected for acidity and they're ready to eat. That's so weird because it's like, you know, for thousands of years, people have been like screwing around with this fruit and like have figured out how to make it edible. And then someone, some uh, German lady in Oakland comes along in, in 1890 is like, you know, I got a different way to fuck around with this and also make it edible. Well, and the other thing, and and, and this I couldn't really find, um, is, like, why didn't she just, like, uh, leave them on the tree and then brine them the old world way? Well, this sounds faster, I guess. I guess. I mean, I guess if you're too impatient to wait for your olives to be ripe, but you want them to look like they're ripe, (laughs) you can do this. Well, I mean, these are the cheapest olives, so there must be something about the process that's more efficient than the old school method. Yeah. Right? Uh, it sounds like maybe it also happens a lot faster, yeah. right? I mean, if you're, like, forcing this oxygen, you know, this oxidation process. Anyway, so, yeah, Matthew, what, like, okay, so now that we have done all this talking about olives— you still don't like olives. <laughs> right. So you asked me before this episode to think about like how I would describe the flavor and texture of an olive. Mm-hmm. And I think so. I don't think it's just about the texture with olives, although I think that's a lot of it, that it's like a rich room temperature thing that's <laughs> dense and has uh-huh. like kind of like a fudgy texture to it. I think you're describing so Brownies. many different things. Brownies. Um, but the brownies, cake. but yeah, I, I would, I would prefer pound cake over human olives. flesh. Can we pivot it the episode right now? I don't think human flesh has a fudgy <laughs> texture. Oh, come on, man. Oh, no. What's, where's that, the yes you ending? Caught, you just caught me in your trap. Like, you made me admit that I've, that I've chewed human flesh and it doesn't have a fudgy texture. Now, <laughs> this is, this is when the, the, the cuffs go on. Good thing. Okay. <laughs> Good thing you're all, all the way over there in your closet. Mm-hmm. They'll never catch okay. me. I don't know. Like, and so, so then there's like, there's like a, like a, like a, like sharp, like, uh, you know, briny funk that cuts through that like kind of goes up your nose when you're eating an olive. I don't know. Like, I want to like them. Have you tried many different types of olives? You know, since the introduction of the olive bar, it is easy to get many different types with different flavors. No, because I, I don't like them, but, um, I like I've tried different types of olives on pizza, like like, uh, you know, our local pizza chain, Pagliacci, like they have they'll do like a, you know, a deluxe uh, supreme pizza with with California, quote, ripe olives. Uh, But they'll also do like a pizza with Kalamata olives. And I like that, too. Like on, on a pizza, it works for me because it's not I'm not having to face the texture head on and the flavor like gets to like kind of jump in with a bunch of other flavors. What about green olives? I think that would probably be my last choice, hmm, but okay. I don't know why. Like, I I couldn't tell you. Like, and it you know, it's because green olives have like such and such a uh, so flavor notes. Okay, well, um, I couldn't tell you about flavor notes. So uh, you know, I think one of the first olives that I tried after I decided that I didn't hate olives was uh, obviously the the Kalamata. You know, mm-hmm. a quite ubiquitous olive. I remember. 
when my dad was sick and a lot of different, you know, people in our community were bringing food to us, I remember this seemed like a very new combination at the time. This was 2002. Uh I remember some neighbors bringing over um, like a big bowl of like mescaline greens, some shaved fennel, some Kalamata olives and like, um, you know, orange Supremes. And oh, we were that sounds to toss, very 90s. Right? Isn't that super yeah. 90s? Anyway, um, yeah, I remember I remember Kalamata olives were sort of the, the, the gateway olive once I had decided that I was into them. Um, Kalamata olives I think obviously that makes sense. also show up in, in Greek salads, especially here in the States. I'm not sure about Greek salads in Greece. Then Wait, weren't, I remember, you, weren't you in Greece? I was in Greece, but, you know, I was just in a small part of Greece. Okay, next time you should go to a big part of Greece and and, and and check out the salad situation. And, and like, part of what is so cool about, like, the Greek islands, let's just turn this into the Greece podcast. Mm -hmm. Part of what's so cool about the Greek islands is that... um, Greece has a lot of grams of fat. Each one has a a quite different food culture. So there's some like even though these are islands that I'm I'm talking specifically about the Greek islands, not the mainland. So there's somewhere like seafood is really, really important. There's somewhere seafood is obviously really important. But then there are other ones that have almost sort of like an Italian kind of vibe with a lot of pasta and um, like chickpeas. Then there's somewhere like meat is much more prevalent. Lamb. Anyway. um, Which is the one where the Cyclops lives? So this is what makes me. Did you go to that island? This is what makes me say that I'm not sure um, if there is a particular type of olive that is used in what we think of as Greek salad. But hold on. I'm not done. Please. So. Then, like, so in France, there, France, I think, is for me where I first tasted a lot of like green olives, like picholine okay. olives, right? Oh, those that's are kind a green of like olive? yellowy okay. green. Yeah. Um, or like those tiny little purpley black olives, Niçoise olives. Spanish Arbequina olives are kind of a like a purplish green, I believe, or kind of brownish. But I, I would say that these days the olive that everybody's really into, including my kid, is Castelvetrano olives. Which yeah, are those I've heard fr- the word, but I don't know what it is. Tell me. It's a it's a quite bright green olive. It's very round as opposed to kind of being oblong. Oh, and, okay. Um, uh, the so one you can thing like I'd- shoot marbles with it if necessary. Exactly. Exactly. That is actually how it rose to popularity. Is oh yeah. Um, yeah is people were like, oh, it's, you know, like marbles are really hard to find in stores these days. Kids Mm -hmm. don't seem to be playing with marbles, but if you want to play with marbles, like it's easy, just go to the olive bar. That makes sense. Yeah, like that's why we used to uh, shoplift from the olive bar was to to feed our, so we could could keep gambling on marbles. Have you ever played marbles? Like where you like draw a circle and like like you got like like a shooter and a, I don't remember what they're called. Marbles is is not a good game. Like I, my I re- my brother had a huge marble collection. I think that he used to play marbles. Yeah, no, I had a marble collection as a kid, and then I was like, oh, let's play marbles, and it's kind of like dominoes. Like you're like, oh, you, it's it's like a fun artifact to to collect and play with, but the actual game kind of sucks. What about marble tracks or marble runs? Now I like those. Oh yeah, yeah. What about the video game Marble Madness? That was that was good. Hard game, but good. Yeah, like marble tracks, like the one with like the like the wooden one with like blocks that they would go through and then ramps. 
Oh, yes. Now we're talking. I wonder how many hipster parents have tried sending a Castelvetrano olive down a marble track. Yeah, all of them. All of them. Yeah, you know what I do here at home on on Saturday nights. Yeah, I put my Castelvetrano olive in my marble track. If you know what I, I put, mean, I put my Castelvetrano olive in my marble track. Oh yeah. And, anyway, the one and thing. So that's the end of the story. <laughs> I think one reason that people love Castelvetrano olives is that they are a quite like mild olive in terms of brininess. Um, they're a mm-hmm. very buttery and and not too too briny olive. The one thing that I don't love is that kind of the same way that some stone fruits are free stone and some are like cling. Oh. I, I think of Castelvetrano olives as being a particularly clingy olive. Like it's I have very hard this. to get the flesh off the pit and that bothers that, me. Like not that I've often eaten an olive, but that sometimes I've like, you know, there's been olives at a party or something. Like I go to, I go to a lot of olive parties. I'm not bragging, yeah. but, <laughs> yeah. um, but like, you, you know, I'll pick uh, it up I mean, like, would, okay, like I'll eat an you, olive, but then it takes a lot of like scraping, like with my little mouse teeth to get to the inside <laughs> of the olive. Um, what I love about olive parties is, God, I always love it when they have a marble track there, and then uh-huh. we all we all put our olives down the marble track, and it is hot. Oh yeah, yeah, and like like if you win, you win big. Yes. What it, what does it mean to win big? Does it mean you get to take somebody else's spouse home, like a key I, that, party? That's what I was thinking for sure. Oh, yeah, good. it's an, ol- an olive party. That's that's uh, right. what they call key parties in Greece. Oh, olive parties. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, I have a question. Who do you think would win in a fight between a bear and a cyclops? Oh, I think a cyclops. Yeah, because cyclopses yeah, I, are bigger. And smart. Kind of smart. I mean, like, not kinda as smart, smart as Odysseus, but, like, they're sort of, like, you got, like, human-ish brains, right? I also think that they... Wait, the cyclopses, aren't they one of the sons of Cronus? Didn't Maybe. he re- reject them or something? Well, that's He's rude. The- He's yeah, Cronus who, was not very nice. He was not nice. He was not nice. That He's like the definition of not nice. Um, anyway, yeah, so this is our olive episode. <laughs> yeah, so so we've learned that, that uh, Molly Molly can, can beat a bear in hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cronus, the, the Lord of the Titans, was a, was a real jaghead. And uh, I know that's pretty much it. That's all. That's most of what I remember. Oh, that, that olives can be substituted for marbles, but only certain olives. Yes. There we go. All right. What yes. have we learned? That's what we um, learned. That's what we learned. So anyway, um, I would really like to hear from Judy Amster today about that that word for dust bunnies. I've already forgotten it. Yeah. Where did it come from? Garboons. Garboons. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would also like to hear from our listeners at facebook.com slash spilled milk podcast. I would like us to hear. I mean, I would like them to tell us. <laughs> Maybe, what do we want them to tell us? Um, like, how you know, did you feel didn't... about listening to a show where one person was talking about olives and another person was interrupting it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I try no. to try to think of as many um, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp songs as possible. I think that, that one of the weaknesses of this episode, this has turned into our, our this is now the, <laughs> oh, the what could wow. we have done better segment. Okay, yeah, this is so, going to be a new segment that's going to be happening a lot, like a real self-reflection. I think one thing that we could have done that other listeners w- will maybe be able to chime in on on Facebook is I think that we could have talked more about cooking with olives. Oh, because there's so many great recipes that and dishes that rely Marbella upon olives. From yes. the Silver Palette Cookbook, is that olives? Yes. Uh, yeah, there and we go. prunes, right? Isn't it olives and prunes? Um, no. 
That sounds wrong. Well, Are you looking I'm, it up? I'm Wikipedia it right now. The Silver Palette's Chicken Marbella recipe. If there's such a thing as boomer cuisine, it can be found in the prunes and green olives and capers. Yeah, because I was thinking, is it capers or olives? It's both and prunes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. so I'm so glad that we did wind up to we did wind up getting in a mention of chicken marbella. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so please, listeners, Facebook.com yeah, slash Spilled Milk Podcast. At all. This is the, oh like, I just gosh. said the word tapenade for the first time on I this episode. I can't believe we didn't talk about tapenade. I love tapenade. All right. So listeners, come help us out. Tell us what you like to do with olives other than use them as marbles. Yeah. No, that because yeah. that goes without saying. All right. So yeah. you can do that at Facebook.com slash Spilled Milk Podcast. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Spilled Milk Podcast and let us know there. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review the show wherever you find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until next time, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk, the show that's soaked in lies. <laughs> wow. Plural. Wow. Harsh. I'm Molly Weisenberg. <laughs> and I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Hang on, I need just a second. Yep. I'm so sorry. Yes? I need my sweatpants. You need your sweatpants. Ash, you should have thought of that before I started taping. You're going to have to walk around with no pants. No. Get in here and get your pants. But Matthew is on the video, so don't show him your crotch. Good Lord. God, Matthew, look away. Okay. Turn off the camera. Okay. Uh, no, I can't turn off the camera. Are you kidding? That's too difficult. Okay. okay. Anyway, so... Um... Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.